everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats Podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, final alongside Connor Beltzazor. And today, we are going to be previewing the much-awaited matchup, as all K-State matchups are for those who listen to this show, between your Kansas State Wildcats and the Troy Trojans. As always, with all the previews we do, we're going to be going over their 2022 season and stats, starting with the offensive side of the ball, then moving to defensive, then what they return and what they lost from the last year. Connor has you for the first part, which is their offensive numbers and their record from the previous year. So last year, they had pretty much a banner year. They went 12-2, and 7-1 in conference, a really fantastic year for Troy. Uh, rushing yards, they had just over 2,000 in 2058, only averaging 3.3 yards per attempt. They had 21 rushing touchdowns. They had exactly 3,400 passing yards at 8.48 yards per attempt, 62.6% completion percentage through the air, 20 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. They converted exactly one-third of their third downs, Uh, And then in the red zone, they scored 81.2% of the time, and they scored touchdowns 54.2% of the time. They allowed 46 sacks, had 25.57 points per game, and a total of 358.4. What this says to me, Ace, is that their offense wasn't really great. Uh, No, it wasn't, but they were weirdly a passing offense last year, which is interesting given the general team philosophy that we'll talk about on the defensive side of the ball if you don't have anything else to say about the the offensive side. Uh, no, other than just they were below average, didn't really take care of the ball that well, uh, and didn't score as much as you'd expect for a 12-win team. Yeah, that's, that's really only notable stuff about their offense. Yep. And then on the defensive side of the ball, which is really where they made their bread and butter last year, They were only giving up an average of 17.14 points per game for a total of 240 points total. Uh, They gave up 296 passing yards, 14 passing touchdowns, 2,089 rushing yards for 15 rushing touchdowns, a red zone scoring percentage of 78%, and a touchdown percentage of 56.1%, 13 picks, and this is not a joke according to their own website, 25 fumbles forced. I'm not sure if I believe them wholly, but that's what their website says. 41 total sacks and a turnover differential of plus four. So as you can tell, their defense was quite the strength, especially in terms of preventing scores in the red zone. So you'd think with an offense or defense like this, they're one of those more traditional teams. You know, they, they sort of grind out the game by running the ball. That's where the offensive stats are sort of interesting in their relationship because they were a passing offense. But we'll get a little bit more into that when we talk about their returns and losses, which, speaking of, Connor, you have what they return slash add from last year. Yep, so they bring back Gunnar Watson, who was their QB all of last year, their leading passer. Uh, They bring back Kamani Vidal, uh, running back. He was their leading rusher last year, and he had a big week last week. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, T.J. Jackson, uh, their sack leader, defensive end. Uh, Richard Jubinor, uh, bandit. He was their second leader in sack. Uh, Reddy Stewart, at corner. He led the team in interceptions. Del Pettis, uh, their starting safety. And then they added Asa Martin, 
a running back transfer from Memphis, uh, which was a coup from Florida. Uh, and then they added Reggie Bracey, a corner transfer from Iowa. Yeah, so they're returning a lot of their production last year, especially on the offensive side of the ball in the rushing game. But then you look at what they lost from last year, and it is not insignificant at all. In fact, it's quite significant. They lost Jake Andrews, their starting center. He ended up being drafted in the fourth round of the NFL draft. Uh, They lose DK Billingsley to graduation after he was their second leading rusher. They lose their leading receiver and arguably their best receiver in Tej Johnson. He ended up transferring to Oregon. Their second leading receiver, Ray J. Johnson, ended up graduating. Carlton Marshall was their leading tackler who ended up graduating. Craig Slocum was their second leading tackler who ended up graduating. Will Cholo was the nose tackle and third leader in sacks. And they lost their other starting safety in TJ Harris as well as their kicker. So... A lot of what made their receiving game so deadly is now gone. (laughs) Yeah, so it remains to be seen if they'll be able to really figure that out over the course of the year. We've seen one game so far from them, and there's certainly some things we can draw from that. Uh, So I guess we can go ahead and get into the schedule now. Yeah. So the only game they've played is up against Stephen F. Austin. They ended up winning by a score of 48-30 which is a convincing victory, but this was supposed to be a defensive team, and they just gave up 30 to Stephen F. Austin. That does not bode very well for them, but outside of the the schedule and that score, I'll take the top half of basically those stats from that one game, and then you can take everything from that down. All right. So obviously they won their first game, and they won it, with the ground game, 342 rushing yards at 8.3 per attempt, 198 passing yards at 9 per attempt, four passing touchdowns to one pick, only one rushing touchdown, but I think this is the kicker, a 58.33 repeating third down percentage, which is offensive third down percentage, which they were converting a lot of their third down per- opportunities because they were pretty short. (laughs) Yeah, and then defensively, they allowed a third down percentage of 30.77. Then points per game, of course, is 48. Their total points for is 48. Points against is 30. They have a plus one turnover differential right now, and they're yet to log a sack on the year. Uh, But yeah, that's the uh, stats so far. Just one game of stats. Uh, But... Yeah, definitely an unusual stat line, especially for a team that uh, liked to throw the ball last year with some uh, really electric passing. And then uh, so far this year, that defense that really helped lead them to success last year did not show up against their first um, FCS opponent. Yeah, and I, I think that's a cause for concern for Troy. So that's all the numbers out of the way. Now we can actually start talking about the scouting report for the team themselves. But before we get into the scouting report, firstly, this episode, as every episode, is brought to you by the Aggieville Alley Cats merch store at aggievillealleycats.myspreadshirt.com, where you can find such designs as the classic neon alley cats, established alley cats, among several others. But also, alongside that, here's a quick word from the other sponsor of today's episode. 
And we are back on this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats, where we are previewing the matchup up against Detroit Trojans. And now we are going to be discussing the in-depth scouting report of Detroit, what we saw on film in their one game. So we'll just start off firstly with their play calling and personnel in reverse order. They're a bit more of a traditional offense than we're used to, at least in terms of personnel. They use a lot more 12 personnel, which is one back, two tight ends from shotgun or pistol. They don't operate under center, so that's the sort of caveat. They operate a lot from pistol, and their run-pass split is really tilted from the first game because of how well the rushing game is working. I don't expect this to stand in our game. Uh, they only pass 36% of the time as opposed to 64% of the run. And their pos- their passing game is a lot of quicker stuff, like quick fades, uh, slants, RPOs, stuff like that. Uh, hopefully, they will not be running 8,300 screen passes because I don't want to watch that again, just uh, selfishly. Uh, it has nothing to do with I- what K-State's ability to stop those screen passes. It would just be really annoying. <laughs> But, Connor, you have the rest of the play-calling tendencies here. Yep. Uh, In the running game, um, they will run pretty much any area of the field, um, but they are going to run up the middle the most. uh, But they're most effective running off of their guards uh, with a pretty ridiculous average of 16 yards per carry there right now. Um, This is yet another skewed statistic, they call them in the biz, (laughs) that will likely not stand. Uh, they do run a lot of play action, 34.8% of dropbacks. And uh, then again, screens. Uh, we saw South Dakota, or not South Dakota, SEMO run that against us a lot. Uh, so um, hopefully we're able to adjust and uh, stay on top of the uh, quick stuff. Uh, and then emotion is a pretty significant part of uh, their playbook, um, both passing and running. A very, a lot of qualities that they will just pick out of a lot of modern college offense um nothing that hasn't been seen before um by k-state but they're they're good at what they do so yeah the the way that i would describe it is they take a lot of the traditional running game that we've seen in college football's past and they mix it with a lot of more modern motion principles in a lot of ways it's not too dissimilar to what courtney messingham tried to do uh, in execution, the only difference is that, you know, they actually, Troy actually runs RPOs and doesn't rely wholly on option routes. I have opinions on that, but <laughs> it's, before we get too deep into that, we can start talking about their individual players, starting off with the man under center or in pistol slash shotgun, and that is Gunnar Watson coming in with a 74.9 PFF grade, 77 in the passing game, and a 55.2 in the running game. I'm going to say right now, he may be one of the most annoying players that we're going to play this year. And it's not because he's like this insane world beater. It's because he's not. He's not that random G5 quarterback that you get in your NCAA like dynasties where he just suddenly turns into the greatest quarterback in history whenever he plays you. Gunnar Watson is a solid quarterback. He probably can work his way into getting drafted mid-rounds or late. And a lot of that is because of his ability to be a very quick decision maker. He just doesn't hesitate whenever he's throwing. He's very much see ball, hit ball, go. Like every time. And he's so consistent with that. That's why he's so difficult to 
like sack. However, it can work against him. He moves too quickly at times, can force some passes, leading to some bad picks, which is why he didn't have a great turnover ratio last year, you know, 20 to 15. He almost tries to work himself too quickly at times, which, while it can lead to some turnovers, it also means you're not sacking him. And what makes that worse is he has, an, he has a pretty quick release, and he's just not very easy to sack because he's so quick with everything in the passing game. And Troy has sort of built that offense, the offense around that fact. They know that Gunnar Watson can process things really quickly in the short game or like when he can throw a go ball like on one-on-one coverage. And they're just going to do that. <laughs> um, he has a decent enough arm to go with the release as well. It's not a world-beating arm. Uh, mobility, mm, no. He's a non-threat if you have a player within 12 yards of him whenever he starts to sh- scramble. Uh, but on the flip side of that, his pocket awareness is really, really good. And he's really good at creating room for himself. And he's not going to like dumbly walk himself into sacks. Which, given his offensive line, which we'll talk about in a minute, very good trait to have. Uh, but like I said earlier, he may be one of the most annoying players we see how year this entire year. It would not wholly surprise me if K-State only ended up with like one or two sacks this game, just by virtue of how quickly the offense operates with Gunnar Watson. Yeah, but getting into running back, I talked a little bit about him earlier, uh, Kamani Vidal, uh, 89.2 PFF grade uh, through one game this year, 85.7 in the run. Uh, He's a smaller running back, uh, and his speed is not fantastic. Um, he's able to get chased down by linebackers uh, with regularity, and that's FCS. Stephen Foston linebackers, that's not even taking into account, you know, an, an Asa Newsom or Desmond Purnell. Um, his vision is not fantastic, uh, but he is fairly elusive. Um, he can be pretty shifty. He is good at lateral movement. He reaches his top speed quickly. Actually, his top speed isn't very fast. Uh, so he he definitely has some good qualities as a running back. Uh, his contact balance is uh, really, really good. Uh, and if you don't make a strong tackle on him, it's uh, he will probably bounce off of it. Uh, and he knows where to position his feet. Uh, but he, all in all, is a solid running back probably not going to put up 250 yards against us like he did against uh, Stephen F. Austin. Yeah. Uh, if, if he did, that would be a pretty serious problem, I think. Yeah. Um, but he's uh, containable, but that doesn't mean that he's a bad running back. I do think that he's worse than Simo's uh, running back, who we did hold to negative six uh, passing or rushing yards. So we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, with uh, Vidal, uh, I'm, I, I I still like him. He he has some intriguing film. Uh, we're gonna have to take him really seriously uh, because he can burn us and he will burn us uh, for just lots of five, six, seven yard gains if we let him. And so we're gonna have to find ways to contain him and keep him in front. Yeah. And the receivers honestly are just so meh. Like, there's nothing really to say about all of the receivers except for one. So, like, I'll just mention the guys who ended up leading in snaps in the first game. Number four, Marcus Rogers, a 54.6 PFF grade, 53.7 in the past. 
he really thinks he's him. Like, he really, truly, in his heart of heart, I think he believes that he's, like, the best contested catch receiver in the country. Uh, he's not. No. He thinks that he has the ball-winning wide receiver that can just catch back shoulder balls, and he's clearly molded his game around that fact. No. Uh, he's an average receiver at that and just about below ever average at everything else. Uh, he kind of reminds me a lot of SEMO receivers, probably a little faster, though, but that's not hard. <laughs> um, Deshaun uh, Stoudemire, he was a complete non-factor in the game despite getting like second most snaps. Take that information for what you will. I'll actually let you take um, both the final receiver and the tight end. Yeah, Jabray uh, Barber had the highest PFF grade, uh, 65.7 and a 65.8 in the past game. Uh, he's working the slot, and uh, he he's good at that. Uh, he He's a slot guy through and through. Um, probably understands his role better than any of the other receivers that uh, we saw, uh, which probably contributes to him grading a bit higher and being a bit more effective. Uh, than the other guys because the uh, the other guys seem to not really get their position on the team, uh, but Jabray Barber does get it. Uh, he knows who he is, uh, so we'll have to look out for him in the slot. Uh, and then at tight end slash fullback, they have uh, number eighty nine Clayton Allendeek, uh sixty nine point nine PFF grade, um, not great in the past fifty one point six grade, but his run blocking grade was quite good at seventy five point one. Uh, he's a very good run blocker. Uh, we saw him multiple instances of uh, this in film and uh, he he helps their stretch run game significantly uh, he hopefully will not be much of a factor in the passing game uh, he he could be good for maybe a, a like a little like a hook route over the middle or something like that mm-hmm. but he's not going to be a burner uh, if he is then we should be embarrassed but He's still a good player, and he's going to allow them to do some things that they want to do uh, in the run game if we aren't able to find ways to neutralize him. Yeah, and they also have another tight end. He's their more receiving option. The name escapes me. That also kind of tells you what he's like. He's he's a fine, like, G5 tight end um, who can operate within this offense, which does a lot of quick games. So he's going to be running, like, stick routes. But... Now the offensive line, I'll take the I'll take the left side of the offensive line. You can take center to right. Um, center and the reason I'm taking two, he's taking three, is because the left side is much. Well, I'm sorry, Connor. I'm taking the funny side. Um, <laughs> That's okay. The offensive line is giving up pressure on 26.1 percent of dropbacks, and as a unit, they are horrible against the blitz. Absolutely terrible. Um, but not, not a lot of that is uh, the left tackle's fault. Number 77, Derek Graham. He had a 60.4 PFF grade, but an 80.8 pass block grade, 62.2 run block. Uh, he's in the unfortunate position of having to be right next to the left guard. Uh, we'll get there in a minute. He's clearly trying to do enough pass blocking work for the entire left side. And to his credit, he's not really that bad at it. Like, he's actually a pretty solid blindside protecting tackle. With that said, you can abuse his inside shoulder because he's not going to get any help on that side. But outside of that, he's a pretty solid, like, traditional, like, blindside tackle. You know, his run blocking is just fine. 
Like, he's not going to do very well if he's, like, head up against someone like a stronger defensive end, uh, paging basically all of our defensive ends, uh, Kula Duke especially. <laughs> or maybe, oh, putting Toby on him, that would be gross. But, um, like, their left tackle's fine. He's actually kind of solid. I could see him being, like, a like a date, like a late day three pick as, like, a developmental guy because he has all the tools to, to be that guy. All right, so uh, now on to the worst offensive lineman that I have ever evaluated. <laughs> um, that is not a joke. I remember it used to be that Texas Tech left tackle that got carried into the end zone by Felix in the 2021 game. Um, we have a new champion, and that is left guard number 67, Grant Betts. Uh, I'll just read the two PFF grades that make it seem like he's just average, which is a 59.4 PFF grade, and then a 64.8 in the running game. Uh, Connor, do you mind reading that that middle number there and just read it loud and clear for the record here? Okay, I will. His pass blocking grade on PFF is a 17.4. That is without a doubt the worst PFF grade I have ever seen in any anything and honestly it shows up on film because he is without a doubt like i said earlier the one of the worst offensive linemen if not the worst offensive lineman i have ever evaluated he is worse than fcs offensive linemen that we have evaluated and the part that is worst about him is that he's just awful at picking up blitzers I mentioned earlier that the entire offensive line doesn't do very well picking up blitzes. It very well might just be Grant Betts and everyone else is just screwed around him. Because I've seen, like, normally if a blitzer approaches the line of scrimmage, you know, before the snap, they can make an adjustment to it. Like, they know what to do there. He doesn't. He just lets them go. Like, if you give him any sort of conflict whatsoever... He doesn't know what to do, and he's blocking no one. And honestly, it, it, it can get kind of funny. Um, but outside of that, he just doesn't do anything well. Like, I don't want to dumpster on the guy. He's not going to listen to this episode. And if he does, I'm not apologizing for my evaluation, but I'm sorry if it if it hurt you. But, um, yeah, he is... Honestly, I think there's a world where K-State literally modifies their front to put more people on the left guard in passing downs by virtue of him just not getting it. He just does not understand. <laughs> but now that that is out of the way, Connor, you have the right side of the offensive line. I'm, I'm sorry that there's not as much to say about them. Oh, it's no worries. Um, at center, you have number 66, Eli Russ. Uh, overall, PFF grade is 62. Uh, his pass blocks is 60.3, and his run block is a 60.9, so ever so slightly above average to the point where it is just average. Um, his One of his biggest issues is keeping his head up uh, during his first punch against the nose tackle. Um, and It's pretty obvious because it looks like he's headbutting the nose tackle, um, which I don't think is a very good strategy for who's oftentimes the smallest offensive lineman, aka the center. So uh, that, that's really the only major note on Eli Russ. At right guard number 74, Daniel King. 
uh, 63.6 overall grade, a 64.5 run block, and pass block is pretty good at 84.7. Uh, he's a good guard, and that, that's the only note. That's it. Yeah, he's, he's a good guard. <laughs> and then um, at right tackle, number 63, you have Carson Burt, who has a overall PFF grade of 55.9 a pass block grade of 83.6 and a run block grade of 49.4 and he's really good um, blocking against power rushers and uh, you're going to have to go pretty much completely around him which I think could be a job for one Nate Matlick Uh, but he's a a solid enough pass blocker especially for a right tackle Uh, run blocking at least if you believe in PFF leaves something to be desired Um, But all in all, that whole middle and right side um, of their offensive line is mostly unremarkable. Yeah, like you have, like, unremarkable but solid. Uh, Eli Russ, by the way, is actually an Oklahoma State transfer um, a few years ago, I believe. But that is their offense. Now we can talk a little bit about their defense. Um, In terms of coverage, they play a lot of off-zone stuff. They're a big fan of rotating the strong safety down into a hook zone in cover three. So playing a lot of what's called cover three buzz, which is buzzing the safety down to a a hook zone. It's stupid. They just come up with phrases sometimes. (laughs) Like cover three Mabel. Cover three Mabel's stupid, by the way. But it's also, like, probably the objectively best defense. Uh, Okay, we're getting in the weeds. Um, (laughs) In terms of the front... They play a modified over front on the D-line where the backside edge is lined up as a wide player. Sometimes work in a little bit of cub with a nose tackle who's like really far off the ball for some reason. Like it's almost like he's playing a walked up linebacker but with a hand in the dirt. He's like a good like foot and a half off the line. I don't get it, but okay. Um, even fewer times, mostly on passing downs, they walk up three linebackers to one side of the formation and kick the linemen out to the other, sort of trying to overload uh, either side and you know do a lot of blitz bail stuff from that. But they also rotate quite a bit, especially defensive end and linebacker. But Connor, you have both the interior defensive line and the edge players in this case. All right, so on the interior, you have number 95, Luis Medina. Uh, his PFF grades a 74.2. Uh, then his run defense, 71.7. Pass rush, 67.5. Um, he's fairly versatile. He doesn't really ever play as a true edge. Um, he bounces around the interior and sometimes goes head up on a tackle. Uh, he isn't really a major tackle for loss threat. Um, but he uh, is fairly decent at holding his ground and uh, we'll we'll get a stop after maybe a yard or no gain Uh, and you can rotate him away from the play uh, and he is uh, um, he will give up his leverage fairly easily just because he is wanting to maintain his gap Um, and then number four Buddha Jones on the interior defensive line 63.5 BFF grade a 66.9 run defense grade and a 56.2 pass rushing grade his first step is pretty good, but he doesn't use his hands very effectively. Uh, he treats his shoulder like it's a battering ram, and uh, if you're able to get your hands on him, uh, he isn't able to really do much past the initial pop. And uh, when he does try and use his hands, uh, he uh, ducks his head to try and uh, get a punch in, uh, and 
he just doesn't have the natural pop to his hands, so he just takes an extra step or two to generate the momentum. Uh, so he's not a fantastic uh, interior defensive lineman. There's you're you're gonna win the rep pretty much immediately most of the time against him, but he still has some capabilities of uh, doing more. But then we can move on to the edge. Uh, number six, Javon Solomon. Uh, he's got a 57.2 PFF grade, 61.5 run defense grade, and a 61.6 pass rushing grade. Um, he's the better of the two edge players when it comes to backside pursuit. Uh, and his bend is around the edge is pretty good. He has a solid outside rip, uh, which can be said for both of these uh, edge rushers. Which Speaking of, number nine, Richard uh, Jibnor. Uh, he is the other edge rusher, 59.5 PFF, 64.1 run defense, and 59.5 pass rush. Uh, he um, will try and uh, bump the quarterback um, even on a running play when the ball is gone. Uh, just kind of a psychological warfare tactic uh, from, from Richard. And uh, his pursuit isn't fantastic, um, but his duck and rip uh, that he occasionally uses is really good. Um, but if he tries to get inside, he's not going to get much of anything done. And uh, he does occasionally drop into coverage, um, but that's a that's just actually, but it's mostly just because of what they actually do in their cover three schemes. Um, so he's a little more versatile than uh, Javon Solomon, uh, maybe the slightly better of the two, uh, at least in uh, things he's capable of. Although Solomon's going to be better. Uh, tracking uh down a uh, running back from the back yeah yep that's how i would describe them i fear so now we can move on to the linebacking room led by number 10 Jaden mcdonald a 66.4 pff grade 72.2 run defense 54.8 tackling and a 60.7 coverage grade he's generally all right at meeting blocks and running alongside the play uh, he's not shedding many blocks, but he's stopping their advance, which sometimes is all you can really ask your linebacker to do when you're running like three-man surfaces, as they occasionally do, or even sometimes cub surfaces that they run. But his biggest weakness is probably his general athleticism. If I had to describe this linebacking room, it is the anti-Tulane linebacking room from last year, which, if you remember, the big thing on them was they were insane athletes who were just asked to be missiles, no matter where they went. Um, Troy's linebacking room is sort of the inverse in where they are not as great of athletes, but they're pretty technically sound and they know what they're doing in a more general sense. Like they're they're trying to follow like the rules of the defense rather than see ball go kill, which, you know, you can debate the merits of that because Tulane's defense was better. But um, then you have the second Linebacker, that is number 12, Terry Thomas, a 61.4 PFF grade, 59.7 run defense, 42.2 tackling, 62.1 in coverage. I actually kind of think that he's the better of the two linebackers, despite the PFF grades disagreeing. But he does have the issue of being one of many linebackers in college football who always takes the first step forward before he takes any step backwards. And if you've ever played outfield, like during Pee Wee Baseball, they will always tell you to try and take steps backwards because it's easier to move forwards than backwards. So you want to be safe just in case. But 
that sort of makes his weaknesses stretch runs and play actions, especially bootlegs. I would imagine so. I don't think Stephen F. Austin ran too many bootlegs against him. But he's a pretty decent athlete, and where he leverages this most is finding holes whenever he's blitzing. He's a really, really solid blitzer, a really heady blitzer that more often than not, he's not going to meet you. He's just going to know where the hole is going to develop just based off of like that half-second look of where the defensive line starts going. So he's most likely to be the, the free rusher, but he I prefer him over Jane McDonald. Uh, McDonald's probably the better tackler. I'd give Terry Thomas the edge just about everywhere else. But both are pretty solid um, G5 linebackers. They're not living up to what their linebackers last year did because their linebackers last year were a big reason why the defense was so great. But, Connor, you have their three cornerbacks. Yep. So, first we have number two, Reddy Stewart. Uh, 70.4 on PFF, a 64.1 run defense grade. Uh, really nice tackle grade at 78.8. Uh, and then a 70.3 for his coverage grade. Uh, he's I'm pretty patient when he's playing in press. Uh, he doesn't take many false steps. Uh, in off coverage, he does sometimes give up more ground than he necessarily needs to. Uh, and he's good at flipping his hips and getting vertical a bit early and uh, leaves underneath stuff on the table. Uh, but he's all in all a good um, corner, quality corner. Uh, made some nice plays against Stephen F. Austin at various times, uh, especially run defense. Uh, he made a couple of impressive stops. Uh, but then Number 14, Caleb Ransaw, as the next um, corner here, 59.8 on PFF, 53.5. Run defense, 58.4 tackling grade, and a 61.9 coverage grade. Uh, whenever he tries to bump a receiver, he try, he seemingly is leaning backwards, and uh, that's something that could be taken advantage of uh, by a receiver to um, just... Uh, bait him pretty much uh, in that regard and uh, he also does um, really like doing the uh, DB dive at an ankle tackle the um, DB dive I've never heard it called but I'm, I'm really appreciative that I now have a, a phrase to use for this thank you <laughs> yeah he uh, um, is good at that well I shouldn't say good but he does <laughs> do it a lot and uh, he even does it against receivers even though that kind of started as something for corners to tackle tight ends and not get injured while doing it um and then your last one you have number 11 oshai fletcher uh he's a 70.1 pff grade another 70.1 in the run defense an 80.3 tackle grade and then a 68.3 coverage grade Uh, he's pretty quick on his feet he can bounce between guys in the zone pretty quickly uh he is good sinking his hips to flip his momentum uh, he has the opposite problem of uh, Seward, where he uh, knows his hips are quick enough to where he can't wait to flip his hips vertically. Uh, so he could be easier to beat deep if you're able to catch him uh, just a little bit off guard. Uh, you may have enough uh, time to just kind of blow past him if you time a route correctly and you're able to catch him in a lull where he thinks he's comfortable. Yeah. It actually is really interesting because they have two corners that are basically like 
opposite skill sets. You have Reddy Stewart, who's like really not wanting, like his number one priority is not get beat vertically. And then you have uh, O'Shea Fletcher, who, you know, he knows that he's good enough, so he, he'll try and jump you a little bit, which is funny because I think Reddy Stewart was the one with the interception last week. But the corner, I'd say their defensive back room, specifically their top two corners and their strong safety, which we'll talk about in a minute, definitely the strength of the team. Speaking of, now we can talk about their safety, starting with strong safety number one, Del Pettis, who has an 87 PFF grade, 79.3 run defense, 83.5 tackle, 82.5 coverage grade. Uh, yeah, he's awesome. He's a genuinely great safety and almost certainly the best player on the team. He just doesn't have weaknesses. Like, normally... I, I kind of, we kind of go into games saying like oh what can what can we find to exploit here which is why a lot of times it kind of sound we're coming off negative in uh in our previews which we don't we don't intend to it's just a you know here's what their here's their weaknesses so look for them to be exploited uh, Del Pettis is not the kind of guy that just has weaknesses he doesn't panic and start to shuffle backwards too early he looks for people to cover not grass and zone coverage which when you're a buzz safety. Yeah, <laughs> he's very quick on the trigger and doesn't waste any steps in getting to his man, whether it be in man coverage or whether it's a rally to the ball pursuit scenario. He's a big hitter. Like he just doesn't have weaknesses. The only thing that you may be able to say is he may not be like the greatest athlete in the world. But honestly, Del Pettis reminds me a lot of he reminds me a lot of, he is not, let me clarify, he reminds me a lot of Jalen Petrie, back for those Baylor defenses, where Jalen Petrie was called the star defender for a reason. Like, he he just didn't make mistakes, and he didn't have any glaring weaknesses. Like he just reminds me a lot of, like, a G5 version of Jalen Petrie from Baylor. But... They're a free safety. There's a lot less to say on uh, Keyshawn Johnson or Keyshawn Swanson, number three, uh, 66.5 PFF grade, 62 run defense, 55.7 tackle, 67.4 in coverage. Uh, he doesn't have the elite center fielding speeds that uh, most teams really want, especially when they're running that cover three. But he's also well aware of that fact, so he's trying to get himself moving backwards pretty quickly when he's in deep zones. I wouldn't expect him to be much help in the box. He's a more true safety that you hope ends up being not close to the line. So like a, a more true center field free safety where you know he's either the last line of defense for a ball carrier who's already been worn down or that he just needs to slow down rather than like a true strong safety. But that is the scouting report on Troy's entire offense or at least their starters they still they do rotate uh, a lot at receiver defensive end and linebacker honestly a lot of the players are interchangeable <laughs> um but now we can talk about the stories to watch going into the game connor what is the first story that you are looking to watch for uh, well the first one is does troy's defensive quality that they had as a team last year return after a really bad performance against a Stephen F. Austin team that could be characterized as okay at best. I, You see, this is difficult because I don't know. Because a lot of their defense last year was based on the play of their two linebackers, who I don't understand how they didn't... I imagine they were probably NFL camp bodies. 
but a lot of it was them and Del Pettis. And the only person left is Del Pettis. So I I don't know if K-State is the team that you would really look for them to bounce back against. And I think that that matchup against Stephen F. Austin revealed a lot of, of their problems. And granted, some of those were, were self-inflicted wounds, you know, like first game jitters up against, like first team of the year, everyone's going to have them. But even their head coach said, uh, we're going to get blown out by K-State if we have anything close to a performance like they had against Stephen F. Austin. I would say that they would regress to the mean, just because I, I still think that the coaching is there. But I, I don't think that they're going to suddenly turn into the Troy defense from last year. Yeah, I, I do agree. They just don't have the personnel for it, I don't think. Um, they are still going to be a fine defense. I think they probably won't be as bad as they were against Stephen F. Austin. But again, that's still going to look different because I, I think that we're a much better opponent than Stephen F. Austin. So, you know, they may play better as a unit and still give up more points. Uh, in fact, they probably will give up more points <laughs> than they did against Stephen F. Austin. But, uh, yeah, there's not going to be a magical uh, return to form for this Troy defense. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. The next one refers to K-State. Uh, can K-State's offensive line have a bounce-back game, especially at the right tackle position after a disappointing performance against SEMO in like an FCS squad? Um, I'm hoping. Uh, I, I want to see different people succeed on the offensive line. Uh, I'm not convinced yet. Um, I, I guess it does depend who we run at that position. Um but I'm not 100% convinced that we're going to have... Again, like, Troy's defense magically isn't going to become great. I don't know if we can expect right tackle to magically become good for K-State before Duffy returns. So it may continue to be a liability, but uh, at this point in time, I don't have super high expectations. And uh, that's unfortunate because I was definitely hoping for more coming into the year. But I guess we'll just we'll have to just wait and see. Yeah, I... I gotta be honest, like that, it is mostly just right tackle that concerns me. Okay, that concerns me that I didn't already know about, that I didn't know was already going to happen. Um, I, I, their edge players aren't bad. Like, they're solid edge players. Like, they're better than the ones we just faced off against SEMO, and during the beginning of the game, SEMO could, well... They could do just about anything if they tried to take the inside uh, on specifically the right side of the line. But, again, I, I think it may be a case of sort of regression to the mean. I'm hopeful for regression to the mean where, you know, the right tackle play sort of reaches a sort of homeostasis where it's just okay or at least unnoticeable. I will take unnoticeable. Um, it would be a sort of improvement from the beginning of of the game at the beginning last year. I I would accept that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, moving on to the next story to watch uh, going into this game. Um, how well can K-State's defense contain Troy's running game after they had a huge uh, game against Stephen F. Austin? Well, most of their running game succeeded because of their blocking tight end running stretch plays. 
I don't think that their blocking tight end is going to be able to contain Brendan Mott. I don't think they can contain Cola Duke. I don't think they can contain Des Purnell. I don't think Daniel Green will have too much trouble. And even if he does get hands on one of them, the other guys are going to be right behind them. And their offensive line, especially on that left side, is not very good. The right side of the line is solid, but they still have their weaknesses and they can get blown back by people stronger than them. And they don't really know how to adjust to that, which I think is why they want to call a lot of those outside zone calls where the the onus is on the running back to find the hole. The problem is, I don't think there will be a hole. (laughs) I think that just the way that K-State's defense will operate, I, I don't want to say that they'll hold them to like under 75, but I don't think that the Troy running game has a very, very good day, knock on wood. Knock on wood indeed. Um, yeah, I guess uh, based off of just a single week of film and statistics, this will be an unstoppable force against a movable object, meaning the Troy rushing game versus the K-State rushing defense. I think K-State should be able to mostly contain Troy's running game uh, for similar reasons as they did, I guess, against Gino Hess. We did way better against uh, the SEMO running game than I anticipated that we would. Uh, so if we can uh, perform similarly against uh, Troy, uh, fill running lanes early, and uh, also create an early lead and create early urgency in their offense and force them to maybe take some more time-consuming uh, pass plays uh, to help negate some of that uh, quick-strike play calling that they have. Uh, but I, I'm not super worried about the um, containment of their running game, at least not right now. I wouldn't be either. Next question. Can K-State's defense play fast enough to counter Watson's quick processing and release? Um, I think that they can. Some of that is going to come down to the offense uh, as well. Um, we're we're going to need to put them in a situation where they can't just take the short and uh, underneath easy stuff. I, I think that we're going to have to put them in a position to where they're going to have to stretch the field more and hold on to the ball longer than they want to. They really don't want to do that because they know that uh, uh, it, it won't be too difficult for us to get pressure um, on their quarterback, especially if we rush from the correct places. Um, but I do think that we can do some to stop that. Um, their their uh, quick processing and release Um, But at the end of the day, you can only stop so much because there's a lot of options uh, in the uh, quick RPO slant and quick fade game. We're going to give up a few quick uh, passes just like we did against SEMO, and that's okay as long as they don't amount to anything. If I were playing it, how I would play it is I would basically just do man coverage across the board. I would just play like cover one basically the entire game, uh, mix in a little bit of like cover zero, just creative blitzing, because I know for a fact that the offensive line can't handle it. That get that gets into the next part. But I also watch like they their receivers have a lot of trouble beating press. Like they just cannot get press, and Gunnar Watson works so quickly that he thinks like the first op- his best opportunity to like oh there's a guy having a go ball on the outside there's press coverage well may as well throw up a prayer that's basically what he does so 
I, I think that you can play a lot of press coverage in this game, and I think it'll work out pretty well. But it does I sort of touched on the answer to the next question. Does Kleinerman dial up a lot of blitzes, given the offensive line's issues handling them? God, I hope so. Yeah, that, that should be an easy one for everybody. Uh, we should absolutely be applying as much pressure as early and as often as we can to Troy, because it's clear from the film that their offensive line's communication skills are struggling at best, and we need to take advantage of that um, as much as possible and uh, put their offensive line on comfortable spots and uh, force um, uh, their their quarterback, uh, Gunnar Watson, to make more and more uh two quick reads because he loves to be fast but we need to speed him up even more because the margin for error on some of these routes that he throws is not very high uh so we we need to find ways to make him uncomfortable and uh um, log a few sacks uh and some of that's going to be from dialing up blitzes yeah you either need to speed him up or slow him down i think like because right now, I, and I think it'd be easier to speed him up because I think he already borderline plays too fast, like for for the offense, like to develop, which is why he <laughs> threw too many picks. Um, but you have the last question before we get into projections. Yep. So does K State alter um, the front or game plan to attack the left side of Troy's offensive line? God, I hope so. Yeah, I I think that we might. I honestly wouldn't be shocked if we don't. Though, uh, just to uh, keep our um, front the same, uh, maybe we, I, I imagine we still blitz that side more uh, and, and maybe try and uh, get a, maybe Austin Moore um, into, or Daniel Green into a one on one with their left guard. Uh, I think that would be a unfortunate situation for their left guard. Um, but I, I think that the linebacker should be able to have huge days if we scheme correctly uh, against that offensive line, especially on that left side. Yeah, I agree. So now we can talk about projected offensive and defensive MVPs. For offense, I'm actually going to go with DJ Giddens because I do have a lot of faith in the Troy secondary, not to fully contain the K-State passing game because I don't, I don't think they're that talented. But I do think that they do just enough to where I can't pick Will and I can't pick any receiver. Um, so I'm actually going to go with DJ. I think DJ has the opportunity to have a big game behind. Like I'm assuming that the, the offensive line returns back to at least decent, like, like 85% of what it was last season. And I think DJ has a massive game because of it. Because I don't think that... The linebackers are good enough at tackling, nor do I think that they're quick enough to truly catch up to DJ because DJ is not slow. Uh, <laughs> the alternate pick, I think you couldn't go wrong with picking Treshawn Ward either. I just think DJ Giddens got more snaps, so he just kind of got picked here by default. Yeah, and I'm rolling with Will Howard. Um, I still think that we're going to find a way to really expose the middle of their defense because uh, again their linebacker play is not quality so I think that we'll be able to find ways to get Ben Sennett and Philip Brooks heavily involved in this game uh, I think they could both have huge days uh, and uh, really take advantage of their linebackers and uh, their, their kind of lack of athleticism I think especially Ben Sennett will kind of have a field day over the middle of the field but that's going to result in 
Philip Brooks and Will Howard make it, or Philip Brooks and Ben Sennett making Will Howard uh, have a really great day, and that will probably open up other opportunities elsewhere. But I'll roll with Will Howard to help dissect that defense and open it up more than they want. Yep. On the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with Daniel Green because I expect Daniel Green to be blitzing at the left guard, and I expect the left guard to be falling a lot or just not touching Daniel Green. I I don't feel like you could go wrong with anyone in the front seven here, like, at all. I'm just going to pick Daniel Green because I think he's probably the best pure blitzer, um, probably next to Toby Osinsanmi, but he's a reserve as of right now. If Toby O was a starter... Uh, Toby would be the easy pick for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm rolling with Austin Moore. Uh, he'll be playing right in front of that left guard. Uh, I'm thinking that he'll get at least one sack uh, in this upcoming game. I think he is likely going to have a field day uh, against this left guard if we bring him on any blitzes uh, in that position. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how we... Um, attack him because um, I, I think that we we're, we both have pretty much the same idea we're just using different people to get there yeah and uh, I, I I'm intrigued to to see who they roll with yep so now finally the score projections now it is worth noting that k-state has played Troy before uh, they only scored six points as in Troy did the first time they played I do have them breaking the record for most points that Troy has ever scored against k-state unfortunately. Uh, but I do have the Cats winning 38-10. Yeah, but now we got K-State 49-13, uh, just falling short of that 50-point 50, 50 mark that Colin Klein has really wanted to hit. Uh, it's attainable. I bet we do it sometime this year, but I have us coming up just short. Yep. So do you have any final notes before we step away? I do not. All right. Well, if that's the case, thank you all for listening to this preview for the Troy game from the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on just about every single social media and YouTube at Aggieville ACATS. If you want to email the show, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us more personally, I am at ACEdwards00. I'm at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, AggievilleAlleyCats.myspreadshirt.com, or you can just take a look at the link in the bio of our Twitter or in the bio of the show itself to get yourself some cool Alley Cat merchandise. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.